Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Richard Geiger and Ken Seymour. I think the studio audience is really happy we're here. And why wouldn't they be? <laughs> uh, this, this is a cheesy mood because we're going back to a cheesy time. Uh, cheesy con- time of... Live action uh, TV shows where there was only three channels on, and if you wanted to watch something, it was one of those three channels. But they did offer you some nice, fun comic book characters that were fake and but then became real. Yeah, comic book characters, comic strip characters, not just live action, a bunch of uh, animated stuff too, but it's all equally cheesy, all equally some of them are fun. <laughs> yes. Uh, some of them are referenced still to this day, actually. Right. Uh, a couple of them in our little segment that we will be discussing today. So uh, there are some highlights yeah. uh, amongst the um, unfortunate low lights. But uh, as discussed before, we're coming into just uh, a, a, a segment where a glut. It's there's so many of them. That it's hard to discuss, hey, let's do this chunk. Let's do this decade. Let's do this half decade. No, nah, that ain't going to happen. Um, let's do this year. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll do two years. But there are a lot of things. We are running into the 70s for our review of comic book-related television shows. Yep. And to think that there are so, so many of them 50 years ago that were in production kind of tells you a bit in terms of popularity for these subject materials. Definitely so. And so we're going to slow down. Uh, we're we're going to see if we can get through just three years <laughs> in this program. Fair enough. We're going to start in 1975 and kind of work our way forward. And, it, you know, the way it goes, since we still are going to have several of these that we just don't have a lot to say about, it may go fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we're still going to slow down just because the, the eventually we're going to start running into a lot of stuff that we all saw, and there's going to be a lot to say and a lot of cool stuff. So we might as well put on the put on the the brakes just a little bit already and and uh, prepare for the the slower going. Um, yep, yeah, just kind of trudge through, if you will, some of these shows because for us, I feel like we're getting to more where we've seen some or we have had some you know exposure to some and we're going to get closer and closer as we hit the 80s we'll there will be more and more late 80s even more and then it's just going to be we'll have m- much more much more to discuss oh, yeah. when it comes to certain things and there's just going to be an ex- exponential explosion of of content uh, that will occur, especially since there's going to be the addition of, you know, made for television or made for streaming films that will fall into this category because they were never released in theaters. Um, and then, you know, there will be a few theatrical releases as well that we never talked about in the previous set because they weren't live action. Mm-hmm. And we, we should at least give a quick shout out, if not necessarily a whole discussion to a, a couple of those. So our previous discussion, we ended on a couple of interesting notes. You know, we talked about talked about Shazam being a very popular television show, I believe, in 1974. We talked a little bit about the um, 
the attempt at Wonder Woman, just the the pilot that was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, going into 1975, we see some fruits from both of those uh, that kind of hit. Uh, we start with The Secrets of Isis that ran in 1975 to 1976. So not exactly a, a long-running program. No, but uh, enough that it spawned a few episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, enough that if you think about a, a run of things, I think this one says, what, 22 episodes? 22 episodes. Um, I guess in today's standards, that's a full season. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they'd consider that just a full season or maybe two seasons. I mean, who, who knows how they space it out. But still, enough that they made a pilot and they made a few episodes and they said, yeah, this is good enough. We'll keep going. Exactly. And we talked about the popularity of the Captain Marvel slash Shazam character before. And and anytime you have something that does well in television, or in a lot of things for that matter, you kind of want to uh, think – Think of it in a capitalistic mentality. How can we squeeze this for every red cent that we possibly can? Mm-hmm. Spinoff. We need a spinoff. What do we do? Uh, we're television executives that don't understand the original source material. Well, let's have them create a brand new character, which never goes well, except this time where it did. <laughs> Relatively well. Relatively. Um. Now, Isis uh, was a lot like, we talked a little bit that, about this before we started recording, it's, it's a lot like the Harley Quinn character. It's, it, it was something that was created for a show that was popular enough, had enough staying power that they integrated into the comics after the fact. Um, so that was kind of a nice thing. But uh, the lead actress, Joanna Cameron, I mean, if you don't know who this is, uh, maybe it's one of those instances where she was in a lot of stuff um, significantly uh, a very long time ago yes um more she's more of a let, let's call her a uh, tv star yeah right? yep. yeah a lot of single episodes guest shots and a bunch of stuff this was her biggest break basically um and you know that happens uh sometimes that's all you get but it's kind of cool. I mean, just a, how many people can say I uh, I portrayed uh, the lead in a comic book superhero television show? Well, it, it might have just been um, luck, not in terms of her presentation or the or her skill, but luck in that the the Shazam show was popular. Oh yeah. She did a good job, and it was just good timing where they well, they wanted more content, so they pulled her character off onto another show, and she got a chance to have a good run for a little bit. Yeah, and if you've ever seen this show, it it's well, it's what you expect out of the seventies. It's it's got a kind of charm to it, lo-fi effects, uh, plot lines that don't make a lot of sense, very episodic. Yeah, it, it's fine for what it is. It, but it did, like I said, it in, introduced a character that was not originally a comic book character, but it's included in this list because it was a spinoff of a show that was based on a comic book character, and then it became a comic book uh, 
kind of character in its own right. What about nowadays? Do you see that character in any print media currently? Oh, yeah, definitely. Isis is still around. Uh, at the very least, uh, the character was prominent before the New 52 and I think still in the New 52. But I don't remember seeing the character after that particular incarnation. Now, to be fair, there are so many books. I could have just missed it. But uh, it, they they actually gave a really nice backstory to it. it had a lot of uh, um, a lot of uh, character development that was really fun. The interaction between Isis and in this iteration is the interaction uh, the interaction between Isis and Black Adam is mm. is what's interesting. So they're they are both from Kandak and uh, are concerned with that particular country. So I see. Well, why wasn't uh, she in the rocks picture here just recently? Who knows? <laughs> a lot of reasons. Why wasn't Shazam in that one? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of that, but um, probably not something that's going to be a, a, a show that most people are real familiar with. Now, a show that a lot of people were familiar with is Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Wait, is this, is this the right button? Let's find out. <laughs> uh, no, okay. Wonder Woman. No. Nope. No. <laughs> Wonder Woman. <laughs> Yay. Okay, good. Yeah, got it. Got it. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, this, this was it, man. This was like a pop culture sensation making moment for Linda Carter. Um, in an era where comic book things were still going strong, in an era where you wanted to see a popular character, and in an era where, let's be honest, probably most of the characters were dominated by male leads, you saw one that just took off and was like tip of the top like it was like the the top of the mountain in terms of what was going on at the time yeah this and the characters had such a popularity for 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 so long in the comics it's one of those one of those things where you know if i were a comic book you know reader nowadays i'm thinking it's like you better do this character right Back then, it's like, could you do this character at all? <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I don't know, and these are why I ask questions to you. I feel like the more modern representation on screen that I have seen is a very strong, but to an extent naive, but very confident warrior princess that's fair uh was that the same presentation of the character back in the 70s no <laughs> so, uh, and the thing is it's about which version of wonder woman you're talking about so our our more current iteration the the snyder version uh well not technically snyder version but in the snyder verse the the one done by um what was the uh director's name what was her name couple no, she's not, not no, no. I'm spacing it at the moment, but um, when she was introduced, she's much more like a more modernized, um, uh, modern age 
version of the character that can have nuance and a lot of depth. Well, I was thinking uh, of the, the director. You're talking about the actress. I'm talking about the director. Director, okay. Yeah. But uh, her presentation of that character, uh, the writing for that, the the version they went with is a more is a more current version. Whereas this Wonder Woman was more like the Golden Age Wonder Woman. Uh, those characters were all more of a larger-than-life kind of, uh, well, I guess they're all kind of larger-than-life. Let me, a more simplistic presentation. Like, hey, these these heroes are without flaws in, in a lot of traditional senses. Not, And what I'm talking about is is character flaws that stories could be written around. I mean, they're all still going to have certain basic flaws, but, you know, the stuff that really that breeds that pathos that you kind of want to follow as they as they become a better person or or are able to fight off the, the their own particular whether it's their own demons or just learning about who they are and what their role is the Linda Carter um, uh, presentation of Diana Prince was she knew what she was doing from from the jump she was she was confident and she was powerful and she was going to protect who she was going to protect even if that was from a guy in a gorilla suit <laughs> that's still a meme that you're going to see everywhere but that, there's no way that you can't you know giggle at that a little bit and it still suffers from the same thing that Isis did it's a 70s television show there's no budget for effects there's no special effects at all really at that point you got some Small explosions and a little bit, of, a little bit of smoke. Some people being thrown uh, from get the camera angle right so you can't see the springs. You know that yeah. that sort of thing. But Patty Jenkins, by the way, was the hero. yes, Patty Jenkins. Her her fantastic initial representation of Wonder Woman, which was followed up by the really awful <laughs> following movie. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just. It, it's a different interpretation of the character. This is a, a simpler, uh, it's just like the Superman. You think about the Christopher Reeve Superman from the 80s. That that was a very basic interpretation of the Superman character. It's great, but it didn't have a lot of nuance to it. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's basically the difference that you're seeing. And, oh, man, this show, this show was cheesy. And here's the basic difference that I would say between Isis and Wonder Woman. Isis was cheesy but it wasn't endearing for being cheesy, whereas Wonder Woman was. So it, it gave off a certain type of feeling, certain type of vibe that more people could relate to. I think so. And I would imagine that as it went on through a few more seasons, maybe their budget got a little bit better, but all that really meant was they could just continue to make more episodes instead of having, you know fancier effects <laughs> they just that just continued the effort to be able to make more yeah i think it was like four seasons or something that this lasted um but uh you know it, it had a nice little run um and uh it's just part of it there there's three seasons so there's no denying the reason this worked more than anything else is linda carter was incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. She has always been a fantastic actress. She was that. She was kind of like the perfect version of the gorgeous 
female ideal for the 1970s on top of that. And this was kind of a new thing. Just package that all together and it's perfect. And yeah, and, and the writing, yeah, because the writing for the episodes was not was not deep by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, uh, a man lures important government officials into his disco so he can rob their minds. Now, of course, this is, and the, the setting for most of these was more of a, let's call it urban setting where she was playing. Yeah. She was uh, playing the Diana Prince character, but on, you know, on the side, she was Wonder Woman. And she'd do the little spin and turn into the costume. That was this bright, super bright colors. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. There's just, just, there's nothing to dislike about this show. If you have not, if you're going to watch one of the older shows, this is maybe the first of this entire list that we've talked about that's not an animated show. But the first live action superhero show, if you want to watch one that's just fun, this would be where I would start. Now, you're not going to, you're going to see Steve Trevor in this in terms of familiar names and faces right. from traditional characters. But it's not like you're gonna see uh, Cheetah, right? Right. I don't think I don't remember ever seeing Cheetah in this again because it's one of those instances. Cheetah looks well, feline, and it's the mid seventies. How yeah. are they gonna do that in a live action sense? It's just gonna look dumb. Correct. But this was these were more what would you say real world settings real words real world settings more simple interpretations yep. of things i do like that carolyn jones was uh queen uh hippolyta would you say hippolyta hippolyta is probably or better hippolyta right? well probably hippolyta she was the queen and uh she was uh one of the uh, adams family <laughs> actresses that's right so, so it's like oh that's kind of a fun little thing i mean you uh had kurt owens in a couple of episodes deborah winger was in a couple of episodes so i mean you got some uh, michael shannon was in a couple of episodes so you got some you got some big names that made some appearances in, in this uh in this show so it's just just kind of neat so now we didn't go into the background of the origins of other comic in this episode because we've already talked about it in previous episodes so we don't really need to go over that Nope. But when we stray into 1976, things will change. Yeah, we need one that's maybe not like, applause. Or it's like, like a, or like a, oh. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. We need a few more uh, sound effects. I'm sure they're in there. But uh, uh, money and time is limited. So uh, it's either that, it's either that or a laugh track. <laughs> Or yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's what we got at the moment. Production values through the roof. Yes, right now. that's that's what we that's what you come to listen to the pudding guys for. Uh, but yeah, like I said, let's go into 1976. Now we're going to begin with some animated classics that happened in this uh, particular uh, time period, and we're going to start with um, a series called Fred Bassett. Now, with a name like Bassett. It's got to be a dog, uh, you would think. And you'd be right. It is a dog. 
<laughs> yes, it's not Angela's uncle or something like that. It is a hound. Yes, it's it's pretty simple. Now this this particular cartoon did not have a lot of episodes, and it was a short. It's one of those little filler things so it was just like a little five minute thing that they made for it so if you saw it you, you were one of the few uh this was not this was not a big thing but uh it did happen even if it was only briefly now fred bassett was originally a comic strip that happened in 1963 63 oh boy uh, created by alex graham um and it's unsurprisingly about a dog and you know, the guy that owns the dog is one of those kind of comic strips. It's just silly and fun. And so they made a five minute cartoon about this dog, which incidentally did not look like the dog from the comic strip. No, no. Um, so they, they enlisted the, uh, they enlisted the, the talents of Lionel Jeffries to do the voice for the human. And if you're familiar with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you'll know who that is because he's grand grandma, grandma. Well, I am having a rough day today. Grandpa Potts in that. Uh, but he was also uh, in a bunch of stuff back in the day. This this dude was in everything. I always love those actors that just pop up all over the place. The mixer. So when you hear his voice, it's a at that time, that's a voice you would know. And it's just kind of a, a fun thing. So that's a that's a small one. Yeah, not much to talk about about them. I never saw this. Uh, I thought about looking it up for this episode and watching it, but then I realized I had other things to do. So yes. <laughs> the end. The end. In that same time period, uh, there was a single episode also based on a comic strip. They figured that uh, having dogs wasn't uh, maybe the thing to do. What we need instead are little girls that. Uh, that you may or may not like that might possibly uh, represent Shirley Temple in some shape or form. <laughs> not really. Uh, but they did a Little Lulu and her Ooh. friends, also called Little Lulu to Chike Nakama. Uh, <laughs> but it's Little Lulu and her friends. That's <laughs> 30 minutes. Um based on the strip of the same name that came out in 1935 by Marjorie Henderson Buell. Um, it's actually a fun little strip if you've never seen Little Lulu. Have you ever read Little Lulu? I feel like I've seen one or two, but um, I don't remember her being a spokes tune for Kleenex, but uh, maybe I'm missing something. No, no, they're, they're they use these these uh, comic strips for just about anything that they possibly could at the time, uh, but uh, yeah, this is uh, this is one of those strips that's kind of meant to be just the life of a cutesy little girl that you follow around, and that's literally kind of the extent of it. It's not deep; you can't read too much into it, but it's fun. Uh, I mean, if you're uh, familiar. With uh, you know, like Betty Boop or something like that, it's it's along those lines. Yes. How will this little girl act during the Depression and World War Two? <sighs> kind of. Because <laughs> it, it says it ran from thirty-five to forty-eight, so that that's kind of the time frame. Like, yeah, you know. it's uh, maybe not the happiest uh, world of worlds, but you know, for those people that can't deal with that, uh, that. Maybe maybe you just need to have a nice little 
bit of exercise to clear your mind. And what better exercise than bar fights with the sailors? <laughs> and your favorite canned leafy vegetable. That's right. Uh, Popeye pops up again. We've talked about him a bunch on this series. Yeah, I think uh, it's an easy character and set of characters to like, right? Kind of that, uh, it, it is funny, it's cartoonish. I mean, it's a cartoon, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's cartoons that are things, there's cartoons that are other things, there are cartoons that are just cartoonish. That's this one. And I feel like this is just kind of, um, this version of the show is just kind of a repackaging of previously existing cartoons. I can't say that for certain. But when I was looking for stuff for it uh, originally, it was sometimes a little hard to find information on it. But uh, it ran from 76 to 1988, so it must have had some <laughs> some new episodes in there somewhere. Uh, or maybe it was it ran for a little bit, but then it was, uh, oh, yeah, eight full-color cartoons on one DVD. So maybe it was something that just was an occasional thing that popped up, but it just happened to be the same set of people and character-based information from those 12 years. Yeah, and uh, I will, as a, kind of an honorable mention, uh, in my initial research I had found a live-action show called The Dumplings that was based on a comic strip, I uh, believe of the same name. But when I was doing my follow-up in the entire 10 minutes I had to prep for the show, <laughs> I couldn't find it. So we're just going to skip it. We're not even going to talk about that show. But we'll come back to it later if I find anything more about it. It's a another just comic strip, kind of an all-in-the-family sort of a feel. Honeymooners slash all-in-the-family. It, it wasn't anything special. If we have dumplings at home, we call them dumps. Yeah, maybe not the best naming uh, for that. So uh, That's a great story. I thought you guys might want to hear yeah. that. So let's end up in 1977. I mean, we just talked about several shows, and it took you know, almost half an hour. So I think we're right in limiting the number of years that we're going through. Yes. Um, too many things. Too many things. So in 1977, we're going to just briefly talk about a couple of these because most of these are just continuations of previously existing cartoon shows that they either created new episodes for or repackaged, and it's still the essential same stuff. So, like, we get the all-new Super Friends Hour. Well, we've already talked about the Super Friends. But this is the all-new Super Friends. It is, but it's... Not all new voice actors. Yeah, it's the same set. Yeah, so it's just kind of already there. We've already talked what it's based on. Um, similarly, we've got a Batman Tarzan Adventure Hour that uh, aired during the same period of time. Uh, there were the new Adventures of Batman, which that was new in 1977. The new Adventures. Yeah. Well, what about the old Adventures? I'm and the the... The not-as-old adventures. The marginally middling adventures of Batman. Uh, you had the new Archie and Sabrina hour. Oh we talked gosh. about a million Archie things last time, so we're not going to go deep into that either. But, you know, those all occurred. Now, something that is a little different that we didn't talk about is there was a special that was created in 1977. It was kind of a single special. It wasn't even half an hour and it was based on the comic strip Doonesbury. 
Uh, so I don't know how many of you listeners might be familiar with Doonesbury, but it has been a staple of the comic strip world for forever. For a super long time. Um there used to be a time when there wasn't internet children. I don't know if you knew that and if you wanted to if you wanted to see what happened, you read the newspaper. And if you wanted to see what was on sale at your favorite stores during the week, you got the Sunday newspaper. Ooh, special. Yes, so the Sunday newspaper would have a gigantic comic section in it. Which included Doonesbury for quite some time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's political humor, the very thing that every 10-year-old wants to read in the comic section. The, the, <laughs> the highlight of the read wasn't ever Calvin and Hobbes. No, why would I? No. Uh, always Doonesbury. Uh, it's like, I would always read that as a kid, and they keep referencing these people. It's like, who are they talking about? I, I don't know what's going on. I don't think I like this comic strip. I didn't really gain an appreciation for it until later. But, yeah, it came out in 1970 by uh, Gary Trudeau, for those of you that are not familiar. But uh, it's just kind of um, a small synopsis of some of the characters, basically. Uh, It's just a day in the life. So it's not not like a, a Peanuts Christmas special or something like that. It's... It's just kind of an odd duck that came out of nowhere because who creates a political cartoon based off of a political cartoon strip in 1977? That's just, it's so weird. But it had uh, Richard Cox doing one of the primary voices, man. (laughs) Come on. This guy is... uh, Another one of those, you know, TV legends that they managed to get do uh, do a, a voice for this. And I, I think he's a little younger at this point, so maybe he was less of a legend and still still getting going. But you know that you get that paycheck. Charles Levin, another just major major uh, bit of talent in there. Jack Guilford. I mean, if a lot of these names you may not immediately recognize, but take a look at the picture and you'll go, oh yeah. That person. I remember that person. Yeah, what was the description on this one? It's like, examines the everyday life. Uh, Priorities and concerns, how they've changed since the end of their idealistic college days from the 60s. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's what everybody wants to watch on TV in 1977. Yeah, I just... uh, I, I love it. I kind of want to see it just to just to to get a, a, a just a small bit of flavor. I I really want to know, um, but yeah. So that was that was kind of that. Uh, now I will say this about the new adventures of Batman: it did stray in the voice casting a little bit. It actually brought in Adam West and, and uh, Burt Ward. Ward to do the voicing for it, but uh, I thought that was rather amusing. But uh, other than that, it was. It was not terribly interesting. It, it had bat mite in it a lot, and bat mites just kind of well. It's like the Scrappy Doo of the Batman universe. Yeah, the the comic relief in dog form yeah. for Detective Batman. Except it's not a dog. 
the might. It's it's kind of like uh, Mr. Mitzpidlik. Oh, so like a... A very, very powerful extra-dimensional being that really likes Batman, but is played for comic relief in the cartoon. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, Batman needs an all-powerful sidekick. So. Yeah, why not? Um, but in terms of live-action stuff, um, there is... Uh, there, it's rather actually I take that back there's one other thing I want to go I want to mention before we get to the live action uh, there was a actually movie released in 1977 that we didn't talk about in our comic film series because it was animated uh, and that was a race for your life Charlie Brown <laughs> Ooh, another Charlie Brown yeah because you always need Another Charlie Brown uh, movie. At least I do. I love it. He wasn't searching for a, a pumpkin or the perfect Christmas tree? No, they just go to camp. Sounds fun. Yeah. It actually was just kind of, like you said, just kind of fun. Um, and, you know, dealing, you know, dealing with everything that you might expect at a camp that would only have, uh, <laughs> would only have some very, Odd-looking children, and <laughs> it's—I don't know. I always, I always wondered these these kids don't look healthy sometimes, but uh, pig pen especially. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that just kind of as honorable honorable mention thing. But uh, there were a couple of uh, noteworthy live-action television shows. Uh, we get a little get a little bit of fun. Marvel gets in the game and has a. <laughs> Sorry. As we're talking, I'm seeing a little bit of the video that goes along with this. I'm just bringing back memories. And Stellar. Man, the effects were bad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so The Amazing Spider-Man came out in 1977. And uh, it, it was everything that you could possibly hope that this show would be in 1977. It ran for a couple of seasons. Um, the costume is very shiny. Uh, the yeah. webs are ropes. R the ropes, yes. I, 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 I've been watching some of these highlights too, and let me tell you, they're doing some real solid fishnets that you have to jump into. <laughs> it's just so, so good. I mean, uh, everybody knows who Spider-Man is nowadays, uh, but seeing it through the lens of 1970s television is just joyous. And, of course, uh, <laughs> he's got like a spider-mobile. Oh, it's uh, his spider sense turns everything into a bad acid trip. Oh, okay. So that's what we were looking at. It's just, it's, it's so bad, but it's so much fun. Um, yeah, I just, I don't even have words. You got Nicholas Hammond playing the lead role. Um, that was kind of cool. Why does he look really familiar? Nicholas Hammond? Uh, well, he's been in a few things here and there. Uh, he's even, uh, he's even been in some fairly recent stuff. He was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, he's, he's had some big, big roles here and there. Um, Ooh, Dynasty. Well, you know, you can't can't have all good stuff. <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, he's 
Oh, The Lost World. Yeah, he had an episode in that. Uh, Mirror, Mirror. He is uh, a primary character in that show that came out in 1995. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who this okay. guy is. Yeah. Never mind. The face just looked really familiar to me. Yeah, it's understandable. He's He's got that kind of a face, but... Um, yeah, otherwise there are, there were a number of notables that showed up in the show in either a single episode or a couple episodes, but now this was more of the same thing, right? Kind of set more in the quote, real world down to earth setting street level setting. If that's, you will. that's the idea. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the one name I'm going to pull out of here is Rosalind Chow is in a couple episodes. She was in both Next Generation and Deep Space Nine as a uh, engineer, uh, wife of engineer, um, uh, darn it. Yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Well, she's, she's one of those, she was, she's, her character was maybe the least, is one of the ones that I wish had gotten more development over the course of that show. Keiko O'Brien, right, Chief O'Brien's wife. Um, she's always been a good actress. She's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. But seeing her pop up in this is kind of fun. Um, but, yeah, so so there's that. Um, you know how I said if you want to start with a television show to go to Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. and uh, the natural progression to that is not this show. You can easily skip this show. It was terrible. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's um, funny. Was I thought we saw um, Isis in this? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Joanna Cameron showed up in a not couple the of character. Things. No, no. The uh, woman that played the lead role in this had a had a couple episodes. So there's some crossover. It's the seventies. That happens. There's a lot of sharing going on. But uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> That's not what I meant. Don't read between lines that aren't I there. I was watching as he jumped out of a helicopter. All right, all right. I guess that's okay. But uh, let's let's end on a high note. Let's let's end on something that I'm wagering you have as fond of memories of as I do, and as maybe one of the best examples of a television show based on a comic book or a comic strip that even though it couldn't possibly get most of it right, still managed to get so many things right and just do a great job. Uh, I'll let you introduce it. The show we are referring to is The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I love this show. Man, as a kid, uh, you couldn't get me to not... Uh, I was glued to the television anytime it came on. So around this time, we would we would have been, um, well, unable to watch television uh, because we you know we were so young, um, if not infants. But um, later on, as it would hit syndication and right. it would show up, then we would have the opportunity to watch this. And I feel like this. Uh, amongst any of the other things that we've talked about previous to this is probably one that I've seen more than the others. Uh, now, it's not like I've seen all the episodes and I can tell you all about all the episodes, but this is the one that I can say 
I've definitely watched multiple episodes of this, and I can say it was fun. Yeah. No, it definitely was. I've seen nearly every episode of this show, and yeah, it's just because of syndication, because while I exceed your age some, I'm not that old. (laughs) So I I, I was not in a position to watch it when it first came out either. No. Um, But it had things that the other shows up until this point didn't have. And we've kind of talked a little bit about this in terms of film before, especially since we've adjusted our um, metrics in how to judge film. Mm. But this show, at least as part of the introduction sequence, had some of the best music associated with the television. The theme song and the mood music on this show were way better than anything else that was like it. I felt like there was more effort in this. Um, Was it because it initially gained more traction and more popularity, so they put more money and effort into it? Or is it whoever created it had a better passion for creating a good product? Uh, It could be a little bit of both. I kind of almost feel like in some sense they just stumbled over a successful formula because it's not like they used a completely different approach when you look at the intro to this versus the intro to the amazing spider-man versus the intro to some of these other shows but it just seemed to it seemed to click with this the the sequence where you're seeing him sitting in the machine as he's getting the dose of radiation and the initial transformation is going to take hold it just it between the fact that the staging was done so well and the set really looked great for the time. And then you had Bill, Bill Bixby. I mean, actor of actors. This dude was amazing. Yeah, you had, you had a great cast. And, and the fact that your transformation, although not seamless, because it, it, we're still talking about the 70s here, right? The fact that you got... Lou Ferrigno to just be stacked in this thing, right? And then be painted head to toe in green, have this crazy green hair, uh, and just have like that that snarl, right? You know, like the like the like the grr type thing oh, it, yeah. is just I don't know. It's it's pretty cool to me. And and everybody, if you didn't know who he was before this. Everybody knew who Lou Ferrigno was after this and still to this day. Um, You know, I I just watched uh, I Love You Man again, and the whole episode is kind of loosely based around him trying to sell Lou Ferrigno's house, right? So he he is, in essence, a main character in this film by kind of like background default. Uh, But it's it's referenced in that movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Him being Hulk, right? So, and, and it's not like he, it's something to be uh, ashamed of, like, oh, well, it's a silly thing I did before. Like, it's something to be very proud of still to this day, you know, 40 yeah. years later. It's it, it's crazy that the, the, this is the one that stuck, right? Yeah. This is, well, I mean, what they made was just, it was just special. And again, it was very episodic. There wasn't a lot of carryover plot from episode to episode, but it didn't really matter because you just got to see 
a guy hounded by himself trying to do the right thing as the military comes to get him, and the military being represented by Charles Napier. I mean, come on. Dude is, I mean, when you think just of the great stuff that this guy has done. So they didn't just have Bill Bixby, Bill Bixby but they had freaking Charles Napier. It's like, that's just... I don't even have I don't even have words for that combination. Well, if you look at the things that he you, so first of all, you at least for folks our age and watching things nowadays, you would recognize that face. Oh yeah. You would recognize the voice. You have seen that person before in something. Um if you weren't familiar with Hulk, th- this TV show, you might still know um you, you might still know Lou Ferrigno, but you might you may or you may or may not know uh Bill Bixby. Really? I well, mean Little House as, on the Prairie. As good as he was, well, Little House on the Prairie was just a great show. So um I guess that was the same time frame, right? Well, Gosh, I, I watched so. Little House on the Prairie probably all the maybe even more than this one. All right. Am I thinking right on that, or am I having one of those senior moments? Uh, I'm, I might be having a senior moment. Using Goodnight Beantown, The Magician. Like he wouldn't have been the main character in Little House. Courtship of uh, Eddie's Father. My, uh, my favorite Martian, that's what I was thinking of. I don't know why I thought um, My Little House on the Prairie. It was my favorite Martian. That was what I saw him all the time and everything else. That was a staple, a TV staple. Um, but yeah, so that that for me would be where I would have known him from otherwise. And he's in other stuff like Twilight Zone and things like that. Sure. But, yep. but uh, yeah, that's uh, Love Boat. What episode of the Love Boat? After doing all the Hulk stuff, he could just show up in the Love Boat and Fantasy Island and stuff like that. No, and he, he really couldn't. He died. Oh, well, that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> he died in 93. Well, that was 93, <laughs> but he could have showed up in some of the other ones. <laughs> well, the love boat was out in the 80s. Yeah, it was. I just... <laughs> well, that would be another reason why no one today would recognize That's him. That's right. He's, he, he didn't do a whole lot after that. But no, but that those two actors together, just the sheer talent... Talking about uh, Gerald McCraney, uh, Simon and Simon, General, mm. or about called him General Dad, but uh, what was that? What was the name of that? That uh, might have been. I think Ma- Major 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 Dad, Dad Major yeah, Dad. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. So I mean that that dude's been all over the place. Oh, he's in NCIS a lot. Yeah. Wow. He was in Deadwood. Yeah. The so. last season and the movie, well, maybe a couple seasons in, and the and the movie that they uh, the did too. Jericho television show, and yeah, he's he's been everywhere. So I mean, and just another name that they had. Admittedly, not in as many episodes. He's only in four episodes of the Hulk, but still made his mark. And getting back to that Star Trek connection, you got the Mark Alamo uh, uh, right here who was in many episodes of Star Trek. I mean, most people will know him as Goldicott from Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. but he played Cardassians all throughout Next Generation and uh, I can see that. other characters as well. So it's just kind of kind of funny seeing seeing all these people that would just kind of pop through 
as part of the the uh, temporary cast for the show. Now in this one, uh, it, kind of the same thing, more set in the real world. Smaller towns. Usually. He would go because he's trying to hide, right? right? So he'd get a job and try to blend in, and then something would happen, and Hulk would come out, so he'd have to relocate. And then that would kind of be what he would move from place to place. Um, I know that Thor showed up, yes, right? Yes, he did. Um, they had a couple of uh, TV movies that they did for the show. And one of them had to do with Thor showing up. Uh, there's the trial of the Incredible Hulk. And I, that may have been that one or it may have been the other one. I, I start to lose track. But uh, it was, wow, that Thor was, whoo, that was very 80s. Very, very 80s. Yeah, I've only seen some snippets of that. Um, enough, enough to know what you're talking about. Yeah, but if you have not had a chance to watch this show, this would actually be the second one that you would want to watch after Wonder Woman. Those two shows are just perfect examples of how to get a comic show right in the 70s. And also to see those characters then and how they were represented and what their mannerisms were to what they are now. Yeah, just a lot of fun. So did we miss anything in this very brief three-year span? <laughs> Let us know. You know how to get a hold of us in, uh, in all of the normal social media type places. We are on Twitter as at Real Pudding Guys. We're on uh, Instagram as at Pudding Guys. We're on Facebook at Pudding Guys. We're on Patreon. Please, please, please support us for a dollar a month uh, at Pudding Guys. Uh, and, you know, just we're all over the place. We'd love, do you want us to research something? You want us to talk about one of the good old shows? We always love suggestions for episode ideas too. And we'd be happy to, uh, happy to hear some requests. But, uh, next week, we're coming back with an uh, interview with uh, another fascinating actor. And uh, we've got some good stuff coming. You know, We're, we're going to have some, some yummy treats for you all. Some plenty of pudding goodness. 